Welcome to the Hotel Analyst Podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of our thoughts around matters uh, of relevance in the hotel investment space. Uh, my name is Chris Bowne, I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, as we work our way through the uh, fourth quarter 2023 results season, and uh, indeed also analyse analyze the uh, full year results from the major hotel groups and we're starting by having a look at uh, um, uh, Intercontinental Hotels, Accor and Hyatt and their results and the one big message that came through from uh, the chief executives of all of these groups apart from they had a fantastic 2023 was that they're now looking uh, towards a 2024 where the graphs are certainly going to flatten off the revenge travel after the pandemic uh, that that big boost is is dying away, and they now need to be thinking much more about their long term strategic plans to take their businesses forward. And so there was a move away from uh, you know Eli Malouf at uh, ISG said he won't be his his team will no longer be delivering month by month st- stats like they have done over the last two or three years. And they want to move away from kind of worrying about uh, uh, short term stuff and take a much more focused approach on what's going to be important in the long term as they grow their businesses. Um, Accor's Sebastian Bazan was, as usual, philosophical in his uh, his outlook and his commentary, um, noting the fact that, you know, uh, by and large, the, the those in the hotel sector are in quite a good space. Demand looks like, at least in the short to medium term, it's going to be uh, proceeding ahead of supply, uh, and that bodes well for all of those who run hotels. Uh, the results from all of them were, were strong. They've all done very well. And the, by and large, these are businesses that aren't as exposed as, for example, Wyndham and Choice to the kind of more eco- economy uh, segments of the US market, which are those that are starting to flatten off sharpest uh, at the moment. They're going to be looking forward to some business travel tailwinds over the coming months. And by and large, in a good space. Um, Hyatt, particularly, has, has undergone a year of fairly radical transformation they're still pushing forward on their previously announced target to become a much more asset-like business and they are ready to hit that target by the end of 2024 um, but for the those who want to dive into the detail there's strategy plans aplenty yeah uh, you're absolutely right chris in terms of all three of the ones we are writing about this week ig acker and hyatt um in this story um very robust results very good and yeah we are getting to that point where that that super tailwind um of the recovery piece is now largely gone um with the exception of business travel which is um still coming back a little although it's much better than it uh, came back much quicker than most people expected um and that is something which uh, uh sebastian bazan was able to hold his hand up and say look we got that wrong we said um, it was going to be much harder hit than it actually has turned out to be um but the the uh, I, I think the we talk about choice and Wyndham um in that mid-scale economy piece um being more exposed but uh, i think we've touched on this in the past that really it is the fact that that economy mid-scale bit came back quicker than the upscale and luxury bit so it's that's just a, a timing issue rather than anything fundamental in terms of the outlook um mid-scale economy versus luxury um 
and upscale, I would suggest. But let's get back to Monsieur Charisma, which is Sebastian <laughs> Bazin. Um, and, who who you know, always delivers a good performance at a quarterly he presentation. He does, and, you know, yeah. and and you know, and to be fair, he is the most charismatic of the global major <laughs> brand company CEOs. He has an authenticity and he has an ability to connect that outclasses his rivals. Um, and part of that is this honesty he has. Um, you know, if he gets it wrong, he he. he Will hold up his hand and say you know we got it wrong um that's not something really you'll see the north americans do mm. um their business culture isn't about that it's you know everything's shiny until it isn't and when it isn't <laughs> they get the sack um so you know uh, that that's the, that's how they work but i think um you know accor is a bit different to that um and I think Accor is a bit different in a number of other ways, some negative, some positive. Um, I think Accor broke through that very symbolic one billion euros EBITDA threshold. And Baz and I went along to a, an event with a few journalists at the old war office, um, um, now a Raffles Hotel, a lovely property. Um, and uh, Bazan was beaming with pride about this achievement. He was saying, look, I told you we would get to this point. And, you know, he's right to feel that pride and right to point out, look, that Accor was capable of delivering to this level. Um, the problem is that, you know, Accor's share price is still languishing relative to its rivals. Now, it's certainly a good week for Accor. If you look at the week as a whole, from the beginning of the week to the end of the week, Accor's share price is up almost was up almost 11%, mm. thanks to those strong results. But the reality is it's still behind its pre-COVID lockdown highs, whereas all its rivals are significantly above. So if you look over the, a five-year period, um, Accor's share price is up 8% over the last five years. Hilton's up 141%, Marriott 95%, and IHG up 90%. So Accor is lagging its rivals in that share price performance. Now, I think we may start seeing that change. Um, a key thing is getting rid of the 30% holding it has in Accor Invest um, and truly become asset light. You mentioned how high it was on the road to becoming truly asset light. Well, Accor is still a, on that road as well. It needs to dispose of that stake. And that will that's still a bit of an overhang. Um, there's also a you know, a thing that was really um, highlighted by a lot of the analysts on the on the investor call, um, and they were moaning about um, Accor's net unit growth number. Now, Accor has been, you know, held up his hand and says, "Yeah, it wasn't great," um, but a lot of that is down to its clearing up its Ibis portfolio and in its other um, uh, economy brand portfolio like formula uh, um, and things like of this nature um, and and it's moving into uh, better contracts either in new ibis contracts or in um, in the in the luxury and lifestyle uh, space um, these are higher um, profit deliverers than those um, not so well performing franchise units which is shedding and so Accor is quite right to say look you know it's not just about the nug it's about the quality of the contracts you're adding the problem is that m its rivals have already gone through and pruned their 
portfolio. So IHG in particular had almost a decade of struggling with its nug um, because it was shedding lots of Holiday Inns. Now it's that is largely done, and Holiday Inn is pretty much ship shape. Um, but Accor's going through the same process now with its uh, um, economy hotels, and um, I think Accor needs to be a bit quicker than I don't think the market's going to wait ten years for it to deliver on this. It's got to be a bit quicker on that. But Accor is. Um, in a stronger position when it comes to growth outside of North America and China. So outside, you know, non-China Asia and Latin America and, of course, Europe, Accor is a dominant player. Um, and it, it, it's in a great position to make headway in what are generally markets which are more unbranded than either North America or China so it, you know it has lots of opportunity ahead of it um, and Bazan did um, talk about India um, during the the investor call um, analyst call as well and I think I think that's you know he's right to highlight that and I think IHG highlighted the potential there as well um, so you know I, it, it's a case of you know Acorn now I think has the right strategy it's just got to deliver on that it's got things to catch up with still in particular it's uh, loyalty scheme still lags it has to get that up to up to speed it's really going to struggle with that I think because the the North American players and I, I know we put IHG as a North American player effectively because of where the bulk of its portfolio is um they have these huge um, loyalty schemes and th th this great system delivery. Hilton and Marriott in particular have fabulous loyalty schemes which really do deliver. And Accor's got to raise its game to start competing with them. Um, if it can, and I think it's in a great position to help do that, um, particularly because of its uh, luxury and lifestyle division, and it's you know it's splitting into these two units: uh, the premium, mid-scale, and economy, and the luxury and lifestyle um, bit. I, th I think it, it's bringing a lot more focus to the business, and I think it really can start to deliver. We will see. It needs to do that now. I think it's probably been given enough rope, um, and it needs to start moving, start delivering, and start, and and then its share price should start moving up again. We're taking a look next at uh, Choice Hotels and uh, where they stand at the moment um, in the market and in their bid war with uh, Wyndham or the takeover bid for Wyndham. But uh, interesting, you mentioned you know US chief executive saying everything's great until it isn't uh, i was thinking also about uh, perhaps choice is the canary in the coal mine because um uh, what's happened in the last quarter of 2023 was that choice hotels revpar started going down uh, and you know, performance is going backwards that's not a fantastic look they uh, defended themselves by saying well it was against tough comparables in 2022 but here is a company who in at least some parts of its portfolio is now uh, certainly plateauing if not sensing a certain downward trend in demand and this comes as choice is of course uh, pushing forward on its uh, takeover bid for Wyndham Hotels, uh, which uh, CEO Pat Patius insists is still on track, and he reckons all things being uh, fine, he should have the deal done by September this year. Uh, he's brushed off the concerns of uh, federal investigators asking for more detail on this, that, and the other, and he reckons that uh, you know that that that's not a problem. There is no market dominance uh, that that could be could be considered from the combination of these two businesses, and uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't 
be combined together but as i say the the big the big problem for for patients and for choice is that their their offer for Wyndham is largely based on their shares and their share price and if unless start looking at the quarter by quarter performance and determine that things are softening in the key us markets which cause choice operates on in then then we're kind of looking at a deal that may be dead in the water yeah um that softness piece that is relatively um choices issue um Wyndham's numbers which we talked about mm-hmm. last week um yeah. were better they were stronger um and indeed if you look at IHG which has well it's a huge mid-scale player that was a, a, a blinking good performance mm. as well so I think this is a, a specific choice problem now the bid battle um, is getting even more tetchy. Um, Wyndham chairman Stephen Holmes wrote to shareholders um, after the choice conference call with analysts um, and to quote him he's out of patience with this constant false and misleading refrain and that's referring to choice's allegation that Wyndham's board has refused to engage Holmes said that Wyndham connected with choice and its advisors over 25 times since April including on some occasions at our initiative so he's trying to say look we are talking we just don't think it's very good value for our shareholders that's the point Mm -hmm. he's making um now the issue here is I think there's both good and bad within those choice numbers. Um, the bad you've touched on in which they're going down in terms of rev bar, but actually the good is actually um, there's a clear demonstration of how greater scale delivers improved uh, um, returns, it certainly improved um, uh, bookings. So in, in terms of you look at those Radisson properties that Choice has added, um, it said it's improved bookings in those properties by over 20%. And for Country Inn and Suites, which is in that kind of mid-scale bit, Choice's sweet spot really, um, that improvement is more than 30%. And there's no question in my mind that that is about adding the Radisson properties into choice and that much bigger system delivering and delivering much better results for those Radisson properties. So that's quite, you know, I I think that's a very powerful argument um, for why choice and Wyndham actually need to work out a way of coming together. Um, Now, we've said last week that in our view uh Wyndham has done the better job in running its business than choice and our question is you know it ought to be Wyndham management that is leading this uh takeover rather than choice so it's it's a bit cart before horse in terms of how this is going but that doesn't take away the fact it makes a lot of sense for them to come together so um whether or not this choice aggressive deal is dead in the water um you know uh, yeah i i think there are all sorts of flaws with it but i think the the need for a combination of some sorts um is still there um and you know choices numbers actually reinforce the point about why it makes sense for a combination to happen so we're looking for a white knight then 
possibly possibly or or else just work it out between them and get it together and uh you know say look if if they can sort that out and say look we can make it work but i mean there are there are problems mm. and i think the problems are more within choice um so i would look at the radisson piece and say what well, you've got a a bunch of brands there which are only in americas how are you going to maintain any sort of uh, coherence to that brand those brands when xinjiang the chinese uh giant is controlling those brands everywhere else in the world i think i think that's a real problem which i don't think choice has addressed in any meaningful way the other thing is on the international front um choice is very much wedded to the master franchise idea and i think wyndham has the correct um, notion that master franchising is not the way forward um, direct franchising is the way forward and you know Wyndham has unwound most of its master franchises and uh, choice seems to be adding them so I think that's in the wrong you know it, it's, it's heading the wrong way in that so that needs to get sorted out I think how that's going to work out if they were to come together but you know Wyndham might rightly say well look I think we're better off without you know the um choice dragging down our performance so but you know i think putting the two together i think you know we can clearly see the power of just adding radisson into choice you know windham and uh, uh choice together i think that could be a, a, a powerful combo now we're taking a look at the listings sort of marketplace uh, for hospitality companies now in previous seasons uh it was a, a very popular thing to uh, list yourself on the NASDAQ or on the US markets via a, a SPAC, a, a reversal into a special purpose acquisition vehicle. Um, there's much more variety, it seems, in the coming months, um, but uh, certainly hospitality groups are keen to tap uh, the public investment markets. So we've got uh, a sort of what, what is effectively the, the European equivalent of a SPAC going on in uh, Germany, where um, a uh, hotel operator called Circle Hospitality Group, well, it's a circle with an S, is uh, is is IPOing on the Frankfurt stock market, um, and they are looking to uh, list and then grow themselves much more substantially. They've got uh, 37 hotels currently, mostly across Germany, the Netherlands, and Austria, but they're looking to grow quite quickly to perhaps a 100 plus um, uh, property group. Um, across more broader uh, range of European countries. Um, we've also seen uh, over in the Far East, we've seen a Thai group who own a, a group of hotels in the UK. Um, they are DTGO. Uh, they've, they've decided rather than listing in Thailand, they've actually reversed that uh, UK portfolio into a Singapore listed vehicle. So the portfolio is now part of a listed company in Singapore, um, where DTO is actually the majority shareholder of the new vehicle, um, but has attracted some some uh, additional uh, investment and is, is potentially now poised to draw in a broader field of investors, maybe even in due course to potentially swap to a REIT status in Singapore. But certainly their belief is that the Singapore market is, is a very open and transparent market where there are plenty of people interested in hospitality assets and uh, their view is that by listing over there they are going to be able to bring in more cash bring in more investment and grow the portfolio that's currently been running quite successfully with Valor Hospitality as the operators 
uh, perhaps buying more UK provincial hotels or even heading across into mainland Europe to grow their portfolio. Uh, and, and meantime, there's plenty of activity in um, India as well. Uh, we've seen uh, just in the last few weeks, we've seen um, park hotels listing, not the uh, not the US Hilton oriented vehicle, but somebody completely different who uh, have, have got a decent portfolio of properties in India and also Juniper Hotels, uh, which is largely the Hyatt partner in India. Um, both these listing, again, looking to draw in cash, which will catapult the growth of their branded portfolios as uh, they look for opportunities. Well, you know, we've, we've heard from IHG and Accor that they are keen to get into India. These are people who are actually uh, developing, taking on properties and maybe actually in a position to feed those brands uh, on an asset like basis in due court. Yeah, in my commentary, I asked the question, is this the second wind for owner operators? So it's all been about asset light and it's certainly going to remain asset light for the big global brand majors. Um, but these smaller companies coming to market, it's very much an owner operator play. Uh, and it made me think back to the mid 1990s 1996 to be precise and in that year there were if my memory serves me correct six ipos and fundraisings by owner operators in the uk the biggest was uh, millennium copthorne um which um, left the market in 2019 was taken private in 2019 and in fact all of those um, companies that were in action around that time have now left the market as well um so I, I think the the strongest parallels are arguably in India, where we've got this this strong um, growth, um, strong tailwinds in the marketplace there. But it's also interesting what we're seeing in terms of the uh, the Europeans there, and um, you know that SMG European Recovery SPAC, which uh, Circle is reversing into, is, is an interesting case in point. In you know Circle is a owner operator with um, in the lifestyle space and I think there's a distinction here between owner operators which are doing you know fairly standard boxes which was the case in that 1996 half dozen um, they were pretty standard hotels um, whereas now I think this lifestyle thing um, there's a strong argument you could make saying look if to do a successful lifestyle hotel you've got to be more hands-on you can't go into franchising you've got to be there to uh, to either be a manager um, or ideally be an owner as well as the operator of it that going to give you the sort of fleet of footness the ability to change things quickly which that lifestyle um, market segment requires from you to be successful so I think there's a you know quite a strong case there for that um, and that could be a challenge for the bigger chains as they, you know as they struggle to replicate this um, Accor is the one to watch here which is the biggest player with the best go at luxury and lifestyle and um, we'll see how that plays out um, but certainly I think there's going to be room for these uh, um, sort of smaller and mid-sized players um, I don't think they're going to be mass market 
Um, I think it's urban gateways and perhaps resort destinations where these, um, you know, they will actually have an edge. Um, I think they'll struggle outside of those locations, but there is still sufficient space for them to become quite significant businesses. I for our five star and no star awards of the week and five stars go to a uh, daring big investment, another uh, another landmark asset that could be converted into a hotel. Yeah, it's MCR um, and agreeing to purchase the BT Tower. MCR is paying $275 million for this property, which dates back to 65 um, when it was opened. Um, it's an incredibly iconic building, and if MCR succeed, um, it will become an incredibly iconic hotel. And I would go, without getting too hyperbolic about it, I would suggest it is probably the most exciting hotel development I've seen in my career um, I think it's going to be a truly incredible property if MC, MCR and I have to tell you Andrew I went there and had lunch in the rotating restaurant when there was one at the top of that building many many years ago wow and I never I've never been in actually I've walked past it a few times underneath the shadow of it um, or many times but oh, uh, never go. been up, I've my, my government to thank for that Right, so and, uh, no stars are for, um, well, the, the serious fraud office getting involved in a hotel business. Never a good thing. No, um, signature, no, um, signature um, group which went into administration uh, back in 2020. Um, this Liverpool-based firm now, the SFO, serious fraud office, said... Um, um, it is now an active criminal investigation and they've arrested four people. Um, now, obviously, because it's an active investigation, we can't comment too much other than to say, well, there's been nothing but trouble um, with these buy-to-let investigations. Uh, um, hotel room type investments um this looks by far the most serious trouble but uh it's a very sorry history they've had you know we'll say goodbye for now